0: So, uh, man, we're going to get there, but I just, that gospel, man, oh, man. Thank you, Jesus. So good. Um, I, I mentioned last week uh, the student activities fair, right? The thing that happens. A couple of years ago, just a little story from the student activities fair. A couple of years ago, we were at our Newman booth because we had one a couple of years ago, I suppose, to this year. Whole another story, apologize. Back on track. So student activities fair. Um, this one student came up to me, and he, he wanted to kind of debate. He wanted to play a little Bible ping pong because um, he was like, OK, Catholics, what's up with you guys? And are you really Christians? And and like, yeah, we really are, believe me. Um, but at one point, he asked the question, he said, okay, but here's the deal. I want to know, are you saved? And I was like, good question. <laughs> Have you ever heard anyone ask that question, like, as, as a Catholic? You know, just like, hey, are you saved? Is that, we've, some of us heard this, some of us haven't. I mean, it's really interesting. The, in response to that question, are you saved, uh, there can be any number of different responses from, from people who are like, raised Catholic. Everything from, like, of course, Duh. I'm Catholic. Of course I'm saved. To all the way to like, uh, wait, what? Do we talk like that? Do we say those words? (laughs) Even to people like, uh, from what? (laughs) That can be actually a a legitimate response. I mean, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start a series today. We have a four-part series. It's called Are You Saved? And for the next four weeks, one of the reasons we do series here um, at UMD is one is because sometimes you have like the the one off and you're like, okay, that's one thing to know about this one thing. It's a random Sunday. And other times it's really good to have kind of like a deep, deep dive into like really how do we understand, how do we live this question or how do we live this aspect of like a serious aspect of our faith is by spending time there. The other reason is because, as I mentioned at the end of Mass last week, as Catholics, we grow better in circles than we do in rows. And so we come to Mass and we sit in rows, which is awesome. It's super important. But we grow really, really well in circles, meaning we get into small groups, have Bible studies. And so what we always do is on our website, we like, post questions after in, in our series that are meant to like, spark conversation. and meant to actually get you together with your friends and say, OK, let's listen to this homily. Now, let's take a deep dive as brothers and sisters in this. That's what we do the series. Is, and again, the series, as I said, is called Are You Saved? And the question the people ask, are you saved? And our response sometimes as Catholics is like, wait, do we say that? Is a good question. Do we say that as Catholics? No, it's it's a good question, even though, even though the answer is, duh, yes, we do. Because I mean, think about like the Bible talks about Jesus as the Savior like constantly. Jesus is our Savior. In fact, think about every single Sunday Mass. What do we say? We stand up in a in a bit from now. We're going to stand up and say, for us men and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. Like, uh, even even wait, there's more. <laughs> There's the thing called the mystery of faith. And, you know, the priest stands behind the altar and says, the mystery of faith. And we all respond, one of the options is, save us, O Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Like every single mass, we say, yeah, save us. You're the Savior. In fact, okay, when Gabriel appeared to Joseph, what does he say? He says to Joseph, you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name of Jesus means God saves. So, do we believe in that whole thing? Yes, is the answer. Like, and it should not escape us. It should not be new. We just don't, we just don't always talk like that. We, in fact, we, we don't just always notice that. But should we be comfortable with it? Mm-hmm. Should we be excited about it? Yeah, we should be quite excited about that. But I think a lot of times when I talk to Catholics and we talk, talk about the question like, are you saved or are you being saved? The answer would be like, well, uh, sh- sure, I guess. And, I, I, and listen, I totally get that. Like a complete, I, I think I because, I, because in response to the question, are you saved, is that other question, saved from what? I think that's a legitimate question. Every, every one of us can ask, are you saved? Saved from what? You know, St. Paul says in the second reading today, he says, letter to Timothy, he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And that might be the moment where you're like, oh, I get it, to save sinners. You mean other people. I understand now. Like, no, to save us, like to save us, because what is it? Jesus, his name is going to be Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this might be one of those situations where we're like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like, that doesn't, I mean, I get it, but it doesn't mean anything to me. little story, um, there's a, there's, a, there's a note in the catechism that says this line. It says, since sin is universal, those who pretend not to need salvation are blind to themselves. What that means is, like, since we all experience sin, we all experience this broken hearts. we all are not the people that we're actually made to be. That's just the truth of the matter. Since we all experience this, to pretend I don't need salvation is to be blind. You guys, I have to tell you, I spent a big chunk of my life really blind. I sometimes still spend a big chunk of my life really blind. But I remember I was raised Catholic, um, so my parents, they made us go to Mass every single Sunday, and I hated them for it. I mean, honestly, it was one of those rules where, like, every single Sunday, the only reason you could get out of going to Mass is if you were too sick to do anything for the rest of the day. And so there were numerous times when, rather than spending one hour in Mass, I pretended to be sick so that I would spend the rest of the day sitting on my bed, because we didn't have any devices, we didn't have a computer, we didn't have anything. I couldn't even read books, and I just had to sit in my room, and I thought that was a good trade, because I didn't have to go to church. I got to sit in my room by myself, being bored, so bored I wanted to throw up. But I hated, I hated church so much. I didn't see the point. You know, it's all interesting, I went to Catholic school as well, I'm like, every year I was like, mom and dad don't make me go to Catholic school. I don't want to go to Catholic school. You're going to Catholic school. Fine. As long as I live under your roof. Anyways, back to our, I'm just taking out my frustrations now, apparently. Um, (laughs) But when I turned 15, something happened when I was in like 15, 16 years old. And it, it changed my life. I don't know what, I don't know what it was. Well, I know it was God, but I don't know what sparked it. But all of a sudden, I knew what the sins were, right? I knew the commandments because I went to Catholic school, went to Mass. And all of a sudden, one day I just had this awareness of like, oh my gosh, that's not just external. That's not just other people. That's me. I remember like having this sense of like, oh my gosh, that's in Like I knew what the sins were. All of a sudden, like that's in my heart. It was this like moment of almost like panic, almost terror of like, oh my gosh, that's what I do. And I was just overwhelmed by this awareness of like, I am so... I can't forgive myself. It was this clear awareness of like, oh my gosh, like, I need someone to forgive me. I need a savior. And if you ever see a cartoon or whatever where someone has a light bulb over their head and goes, bing, that was the moment I remember going like, oh my gosh, like, I need a savior. It was like, oh, I have one. Oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, like, everything they'd ever told me when I went to Mass, like, it all makes sense now because up until then, I was a good kid. Up until then, when they brought me to confession, it was like, okay, what, what do I need to make up? You ever have that situation where you're like, you have to go to confession, everyone, I'll go into confession. And you're like, oh, shoot, I don't know. What did I do? I'm going to pull my sister's ponytail just to say something there, you know. <laughs> but all of a sudden, at this moment, it was like, oh, my gosh, all of the clarity of the, my broken heart was revealed to my, to my mind. And it was so clear that I need a Savior. And it was also so clear that my whole life, I've had a Savior. I just didn't care. So what I did, 15, I was like, I know I need to go to confession. I know that Jesus, as my Savior, wants to heal me in confession. So I didn't know the rules. I just got on my bike and rode over to the priest's house. I didn't know, like, wait till Saturday. It was Tuesday, and I'm like... I know where he lives, in that house next to the church, so I get on my bike right across town, knock on his door at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, and he was there, of course, because priests only work one day a week, and, <laughs> and he answers the door, and I'm like, Father, can I go to confession? He's like, sure, come on in. Went to confession, and it changed my life Every from that moment. That moment changed the rest of my life. So then you can ask, oh, Father, so that, that's when you were saved, right? That's when you were saved, and I'm like, that's where, we get, that's where it gets problematic, because yes, yes, that is when I, would, I was saved then. But here's the Catholic response to the question, are you saved? It is not necessarily the same as all Christians' response, but this is our response to, are you saved? Are you saved? Yes, I was saved at my baptism. I am currently being saved by God's grace, and I hope to be saved in the future. This is how we live as Catholics. That for us, salvation is an event, but it's also a process. It's an event, but it's also a process. Yes, I was saved when I was baptized. I am being saved, and I hope to be saved. It's, it's the first reading today. right? First reading book of Exodus. It's the people of God's story. They were slaves in Egypt, and what did God do? He saved them. They didn't do anything. They didn't deserve it. He set them free. But then in today's story, what did they need? They needed him to keep saving them. They were set free from slavery. He saved them. But now they're in the wilderness. They need him to keep saving them. And they're hoping that he would lead them to the promised land, that he would ultimately save them. And this is the same story as us. Salvation is a event, an event, and it is still a process. I have been saved. I am being saved. And I hope to be saved. And this is the crazy thing. This is what blows my mind about God's offer of salvation, the reality of salvation in our lives. It's not merely being forgiven. That's not, that's not the end of it. Just being forgiven is not the end of it. Also, it's not merely what people call fire insurance. Sometimes, like, are you saved? Meaning, you don't have to go to hell now. Salvation is not just fire insurance. Not just a get-out-of-hell free card. It's so much... It, you guys, the Bible reveals salvation is so much more. There's a guy, his name is... He's a scripture scholar named Dr. Michael Barber. And uh, he wrote a book on salvation that's going to be kind of... going to give us a lot of details in the next four weeks. And when he says salvation is just, I mean, it killed me, it crushed me. It's going to be one of the threads that goes throughout the next four weeks. He said salvation is being saved from being unchristlike, it's not just about past forgiveness, not just about some future hope of heaven. It's about a current transformation that God's doing something. You're being saved. He's doing something in your life. He's changing you right now. It's about participation. You're actually cooperating with this. And it's about a way of living. Salvation is being saved from being un like Because when you were, when the salvation began, what happened was you were brought into the relationship that the Son has with his Father. Think about this. When, when you're baptized, you were brought into the relationship that the Son has with his Father that the, the love the Father has for the Son actually lives inside of you right now. That's the Holy Spirit. The love the Father has for the Son lives inside of you right now. Um, you, you, we like, pretend, sorry, it also sounds so really churchy. Doesn't it sound really churchy? That's churchy language. Like super abstract. Um, it's just, okay, so, okay. So what does it mean to be saved from being unChristlike? like Here's the first step. It's the first step in this series. Father, what do you mean that we're saved from being unchristlike? It means this you are saved from fatherlessness. To be saved from being unchristlike means you're saved from fatherlessness. You're saved from that orphan spirit. You're saved from being abandoned. You're saved from being dadless. See, so many of us, we walk through this world, we walk through this life, and we just, we walk as if we don't have a dad. You know that Council of Trent, it was, it was big Catholic council, happened like 500 years ago? One of the things they said, of all the images of salvation, all the images of are you being saved, that you know, transfer from darkness to light, transfer from the kingdom of slavery to freedom, transfer from forgiveness to righteousness, they said the number one image is being transferred from being a slave to being a son, being actually adopted by our dad. That actually, because we're saved, we can actually look at God and say, you're our dad now. That being saved means you and i are saved from fatherlessness but here's our problem here's the mess. That's a problem so many of us have we've been adopted we've been saved but we don't want to live in the father's house he's made us into his kids but we're like the prodigal sons remember the two of them if we go back and forth right i mean even think about the last it's been what Four weeks since we've been on campus, and some of us are like trying to figure out like how do I live on campus? Like, do am I like am I going to go to church or not? And maybe you're still here. Well, you are. If go, so that's fine. Um, but I'm here, but I want to be somewhere else. With a younger son, I'm here, but I, I just want to be somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Uh, get it. dad, you love me and whatever. But I just, I'd rather. I don't like this whole church thing, and I still haven't made up my mind whether I'm going to live in his house or maybe just take a, take a, why not take a break for the next four years. Why not like, put that whole thing on hold and not actually live as a son or not actually live as a daughter? Why do I have to, in the next four years, live like God is my dad? Some of us have that temptation in our hearts of just like, I just want to bolt. I want to try to do it on my own with that younger son. Or sometimes, maybe even worse, I'm not sure. We say, okay, here's the deal. Here's our arrangement, God. Next four years, I'll show up on Sunday. I don't talk about Bible studies and stuff. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'll talk about getting involved other ways, praying every day. That's not, that's not on the table. Non-negotiable. I'll give you Sunday. And sure, I'll work for you occasionally. And so we think our arrangement is, okay, God will stay in your house, but I'm going to live here as a slave. I don't want to live here as your, as your daughter. I don't want to live here as your son. And that's craziness. Because you've been adopted, you've been saved, you've been... Why live like you don't have a dad? Why would anyone do that when he's claimed us? Again, this adoption. You know, when I was up in Hibbing, I was a priest. Or, 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 I still am. Um, <laughs> I, when I was first ordained a priest, I... Um, I, man, gosh, I think sometimes right now, I'm like, I don't know anything. When I was first ordained, I knew I did not know anything. I didn't even know how much I didn't know. It was the worst. And at one point I was in Hibbing and they, I, the, the hospital called me and said, uh, Father, come to the maternity ward. There's a couple here and they want to talk to you. I'm like, oh, that's rarely good news. And so I got to the hospital and I walk in and I'm like baby priest. I'm like 15 years old. It was like the next day after I went to confession. Um, that's how I felt. And the nurse stops me before I went to the, to the, the parents' room. So here's this, she said, here's, you need to know the story. This is a couple that came up here from the Twin Cities. They're gonna adopt this baby. They've had this arrangement with the birth mother and they're gonna adopt this baby. But um, the baby has a wine stain. What's it called? A little birthmark on her face. Um, and, uh, and they don't wanna take her home. And I was like, oh, okay. I was instantly like furious, but just like, calm down, bro. It's okay. Go into the room. And so when you don't know what to say, I think in many times in my life when I don't know what to say, the best option is just play dumb. So I walked in like I didn't have any idea what was going on and I saw this couple, this very attractive couple. I imagine that for a lot of their life they just longed for a child, right? Because couples who are adopting have a, typically have a big heart. They want a child of their own. But what had happened was this child wasn't perfect. So they didn't want to take her home. So at one point I walk in. I'm like, hi, you guys. Well, congratulations! This is your baby. This is so great. This is amazing. And they're like, yeah, she's just she's so you know she's so neat, and so we're so happy. And and they said, I said, what what can I do for you? You know, again, play dumb, Father Mike. Just what can I do for you? I'm so excited for you. And they said, well, we just don't think we can take her. And this this you know this woman is holding the baby. And I said, well, okay, play dumb. Why? And it was just the most tragic thing. She just kind of like held her up and said, "Well, well, look." And I was like, "All I see is a beautiful baby." I said, "Well, do you have to look at look at, on her face. We don't think we can handle that." And then I knew I couldn't still keep pretending to be dumb. I had to show them that I was. And I said, that's your baby. If your baby was born, if you biologically had a baby like this, that would be your baby, right? Yeah? You committed to this baby. That is your baby, right? We don't know. So I said, I think you called me here because you want me to bless this decision for you to abandon your baby. And I can't do that. I have to go, but I'll, I'll, I'll come back later if you want, if you're still here. So I went, because I just had to calm down. I was like, oh gosh, what the heck? I went for a run. <laughs> and so then I got back to the car, and I, I, I called them, and I called the hospital and said, uh, so I was just there, my name's Father Mike, blah, blah, blah. Um, is that couple still there? And they said, no, they, they, they left. And it's just my heart just sank, my stomach dropped. And I said, uh, did they take the baby with them? And then I said, yeah, they took the baby with them. You know, it's so interesting. St. Paul, he said, St. Paul says, you were given the spirit of adoption that makes you cry out, Abba, Dad. He said that in the letter to the Romans, that you've been given the spirit of adoption that lets you cry out, Abba, Father, Dad in heaven. It's so incredible. I don't know if you know anything about um, when the Roman law, when it came to being a father, being a mom, and having a, a child. That if you were, uh, this is it's so interesting, I have a buddy's father, Dave, he told me this, about this. Um, in Roman law, according to Roman law, if you were adopted, it meant a number of things. It meant at least four things. The first thing it meant was you were given a new identity. You were no longer the person you were. You are given an entirely new identity. New name, new person. New relationships, you're given an entirely new identity. Number two is if you owed any debts, if you for whatever reason, if you owed anything, when you were adopted, those debts were canceled. Once that person adopted you, new identity, any debts you had were canceled. The third thing is when you, once you were adopted, you had the full rights and inheritance of any natural born child. So you weren't loved less or loved more because you're adopted. You were loved with all the rights, all the inheritance of a natural-born child. But there's something that was fascinating. The fourth thing of this absolutely blew my mind when I when I when Father Dave told me this. That in Roman law, if you were a natural-born child, if if you were a natural parent, you actually, under Roman law, if you if you found your child to be defective, you could abandon it. If you found your child wasn't the right sex, not the sex you wanted, you, you could just you take the child to the dump and just leave the child to be exposed to the elements or be eaten by dogs. If, if your child had some kind of birth defect, if your child had a birthmark that you didn't like, you could take your child to the dump, you could abandon it if it was your, it was your own natural child. But the crazy thing under Roman law is if you adopted someone, you could not abandon them. That if you found out that they had some defect, you found out that there's something wrong with them, you found out later on that something was, was amiss, you could not, you're prohibited from Roman law from abandoning them. You could never walk away. So St. Paul, when he says, you've been adopted, says, Okay, now you are been saved from fatherlessness. One of the things he's saying is, you've been saved by a God who looks at your defects and doesn't do what that, what that couple did, which is like, well, look, you know, he's broken. Look, she's not perfect. But but by our God in heaven who says, That's my daughter, and now she's mine, and I'll never walk away from her. This here is my son, and he's mine, and I will never abandon him. Because while we as human parents can mess it up, walk away, abandon, maybe I know a lot of people in this room, you've been abandoned. But are you saved? You're saved from being unchristlike, which means you are absolutely, definitively, never-endingly saved from fatherlessness, because this father speaks over you and says, "She's my daughter. He's my son. This is my child." One of the many things he's saying is, "And I will never let go." And I will never abandon. And I will never walk away. Are you saved? Yes. God saved me when he made made me his child. He is saving me so I can live and walk and love as his child. And I hope he will continue to save me. So one day I will be able to walk into the father's house as his child free from fatherlessness, saved.